As you find your seat, we're on page 10 in our bulletins. This morning, we're looking. Uh, this is our last sermon in the sermon series on community, because next week is Palm Sunday, and then the week after that is Easter, which I'd like to invite you to. Our normal service is at 10 a.m., but we're also having a sunrise service here at the Sixth Grade Center outside at 7 a.m., with like a potluck breakfast afterwards. So I'm really looking forward to it, even though I'm not a morning person. So some of you aren't either, but you can sleep that day, okay? So let's stand together as we read God's Word from Ephesians 4. And He, that is Jesus, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take a seat. So we have this passage in Ephesians. It's kind of sandwiched between two really important things. In verses 1 through 10, is this massive uh, talk about unity and fellowship among the body. And after that, it talks about, really gets into the nuts and bolts of the Christian life. What does that look like? And in the middle Here, from verses 11 through 16, we have, let's say, the meat of the sandwich. How is ministry done? What does that look like? And to me, it's very interesting to see something like this and go, oh, it's, you know, it's in a way very clear here in Scripture. So what we're going to look at really is three different things. We're going to look at God's gift. We're going to look at God's method of ministry And then we're going to look at what God's goal is in the church. What does He want to see in His church? Okay, so let's start out by looking at God's gift. Now, when you and I, I think, often think about gifts and even spiritual gifts, we think about it in terms of what we would see maybe in 1 Corinthians 12 or 14, right? We think about, well, God gives some people like the gift of hospitality, right? Or some people he gives the gift of teaching. Or maybe to other people he gives the gift of of patience. That's not an actual gift. But some people actually are given that gift. Okay? So, but we have all these different gifts maybe that God gives us. And most of the time that's where we think. But I, I invite you to take a look at the text. What is the gift that he's giving here? It's not actual gifts in the way that we think. The gifts that he's giving here are people, right? It's not 
apostleship and prophecy and evangelism. The gifts that he's giving here are actual people to his church. So God is giving to his church in order to make the church more spiritual, spiritual people. That's what he's giving. He's giving people to the church. And take a look at it too. These people have different roles. Apostles and prophets. I mean, these are ones who wrote the New Testament through the inspiration of the Spirit. And then you get evangelists, shepherds, which can be translated as pastors and teachers. So a lot of different people that God is giving to the church in order for the church to be made mature. So Take it for instance, some of you know, I, before I was in ministry, before seminary, I was, I was an engineer, a civil engineer, and I'm glad that there are engineers here and glad that you enjoy your work. I much enjoy being a pastor and teacher than being an engineer. But you know what? One of the interesting things, kind of going through the experience of seminary and learning New Testament Greek and learning Hebrew and studying the Bible in the original languages. I've read tens of thousands of pages of theology and history, and, and you know what? And even done something like this. After Easter, Pastor Blake and I were doing the book of Jude, which is right before Revelation, and I've never heard a sermon series on it, and if you've never seen it, that book is weird. I encourage you to read it today. It's one chapter, and it's very strange. So, but this is my Greek diagramming and translation. And you know what? Those gifts, they're not for me. They're for you. You know, God made Pastor Blake a great leader. Do you think that's for him? No, it's for you, for his church. So God is giving spiritual people. God is giving us let's say, particular qualities, and then giving us to you. You know, that, that in a way has a different take because we can begin to look at even the other people in our church differently. So, for instance, Harlan was up here just a little bit ago, and we can say, man, you know, God's given Harlan a great heart for the deacon's ministry. But we can also see it as, Man, God gave Trinity Harlan. Aren't you glad we've got a Harlan? You know, aren't we glad that we've got a TJ or a Mike or a Donnie or all these other people? It's like God is giving us people. You know, these aren't just random, <laughs> you know, random spiritual gifts that are just floating out in the ether. He's giving us people for our benefit. And so when we show up on a Sunday morning, when we meet in community groups, you know, our vision ought to be to see that God has given us actual people to help us grow and to mature. So look at the text. He gives apostles and prophets. Now, if you have a Bible and you look back in Ephesians 2.20, it says that the apostles and prophets are the foundation so now that the New Testament is written, apostles and prophets don't exist anymore because the final revelation of God's Word has been given to us. And so this is why I'm not Apostle Scott and you're not, 
you know, prophet Billy or anything like that, okay? So now we've got evangelists and pastors or shepherds and teachers. So God's gift to us here is people. And I want you to take a look at this. His method is ministry decentralized. So that's point two. You know, our typical view, I believe, in, let's say, American evangelicalism is to see the church like a bus, and the pastor is the bus driver, right? So you have people get on, and he's doing the direction, you know, where the bus goes, how fast it goes there, he's there, and you're just kind of along for the ride. You show up on a Sunday morning, maybe you're involved, maybe the bus gets a flat tire occasionally and you help out, but he's the one driving it. Or we think about the church as like a pyramid with a pastor at the top. But that's not really the view that the Bible has of what goes on in a spiritual body like the church, right? Take a look at the text. God gave spiritual people in verse 11. Why? Look at verse 12. Why would God give apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? Verse 12 says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. God, why did you give the church pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry? So what's the goal? What's the goal of Pastor Blake and me? Our goal is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Not us do the work of the ministry, but you do the work of the ministry. We equip you to do that. So, so really, you know, Blake and I shouldn't be called ministers. We should be called pastors. And every one of you sitting here should be called ministers. Because that's the job of what should go on in the church. Now, let me, let me let you in on a little secret. I assume this is being recorded, but I can tell, tell you a secret, right? Okay. Here's the secret. A pastor is happiest in his job when the body is doing ministry in such a way that he doesn't have to do anything. When a need arises and you meet it. When prayer is needed and you pray. When, when something blows up and you fix it. You know? when we just get to sit on the sideline and watch you work. That's when we're happiest. When we want, we have a heart as a church to support missions. And you know what? People get together and say, we want to support these missionaries toward this end. We didn't do that. You know, we love to be able to sit back and just watch. Now, you might be thinking, well, that sounds great, Scott, but... That doesn't sound like you've got good job security if we're the ones actually doing the work of the ministry, right? Well, there is job security because you still need equipping. You need to be given resources. You need to hear the word. You need to be prayed for in order that you can do the work of the ministry better. So you see how this is very, very different than what we have in mind is kind of the bus driver or what have you, because it's very, very messy. Now, 
I want to I ask the question, why is this a good method? Why is this a good method? You know, there are many cases, you might, you might not believe me in this. I promise you it's true. There are many, many, and I would even venture to say maybe most cases in which your pastors will do poorer ministry than what you would do. Absolutely. God has given you particular life events and circumstances. You have suffered in particular ways that makes you more equipped to minister directly to others in this congregation than me or Blake. Do you believe that? I don't have teenagers. I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. Some of you have raised teenagers and they're out of the house, and you are in a particular place to minister to our parents here who have teenagers, right? So, some of you have lived in multiple states, and you are more equipped to minister to people who come into Owasso, and they just moved from Missouri. And so, that gives you an opportunity to minister in a particular way. And so, but here's the thing, look, you don't got to be afraid. You think, well, I don't know that I'm prepared enough or equipped enough. I, I, want, you, I want you to think about the people in the Bible who, you, who God used in mighty ways, right? Moses, he had difficulty forming a sentence. He was a stutterer, and he also killed a man, but God used Moses in a powerful way. Look at someone like Abraham. I mean, he, he, he was a liar, and God used him. And Abraham was just kind of plucked up off the streets. Just by the virtue of being a Christian, you were qualified for this. Because you have God's Spirit, and God has you here. And He has you here for a particular reason. Okay? So, uh, Riley, if you would, put up this picture. Now, this, in this picture, what we have on the left is kind of the view, I think, that we kind of we kind of come in with about the church. We're in the center. You have a very strange-looking pastor. And all around, you have identical but strange congregants, right? And he's kind of the minister there. But what we want to be, move, what we want to do is really move from the left to the right. So that what we have on the right over here is... The pastor is at the center, but then maybe you could think of those circles as community groups or just natural friendships that are forming, and those people are ministering to each other, and the pastor's kind of doing a touch and go. Do you see how the model on the right would work much better? And we're not proposing this because it works better, but because Scripture tells us this is what it should look like, okay? So thank you, Riley, for putting that up. So that's the first reason that it's a good method. It works better. The second reason is it protects you. It protects you. Take a look at verse 14. We want a ministry of saint to saint, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
So this word, tossed to and fro, klutonitsamai, uh, imagine a beach ball in an ocean during a very violent storm. This is tossed to and fro. You can imagine that that beach ball is not a happy beach ball, okay? And then look at this word too, carried about, paraphoromenoi. This is like a weather vane. So whenever the wind blows, what does a weather vane do? The weather vane points in the direction that the wind does. Weather vane doesn't get to decide which direction he points in, right? He just goes with the wind. So what we have, I think, in both of these is you're being controlled, right? A beach ball in an ocean, a weather vane, you're being controlled. So the reason that ministry is one to another, saint to saint, is because I only get, or Blake only gets, what, an hour and a half with you on a Sunday morning? Maybe if I have lunch with you, something like that. You and I need a lot more help and support than that. We need daily, right? We need to be ministered to by our friends, by our spouses. We need to meet together. Because Christianity isn't a lone ranger religion. We can't do it alone, right? So, when we have multiple points of contact, multiple touches throughout the week, people ministering to us, us ministering to other people, you're protected from being a beach ball and a weather vane, okay? So that's the second reason it's a good method. The third reason is it protects your pastors. It protects your pastors. Um, So someone once asked this philosopher and theologian, Dallas Willard, some of you may know, um, they asked him, hey, uh, Professor Willard, how would you describe Jesus in one word? So think to yourself, like, how would you describe Jesus in one word? You know what he said? He said, relaxed. When I first read that, I thought it was strange. But if you think about it, Jesus never seems to be in a hurry, right? Like, even when he gets away from people who are trying to stone him, it's just really slick and sly right? He's teaching people. He's relaxed. He's in a boat. He's relaxed. Goes up the mountain. He's relaxed. Even when he went into the temple and, cl- and cleared the temple out, you know, when he overturned the money changers' tables, if you look at the text, it says he went into the temple and he made a whip, like a cat of nine tails whip. You know how long it takes to make a cat of nine tails? It takes a while. So it's like Jesus went into the temple sat down at a table, he's making his whip, real relaxed, and then he goes and turns over people's tables and drives them out. And so you're making my father's house um, a den of thieves and robbers. So relaxed. In our hearts, mine and Blake's hearts, we want to operate out of a posture of relaxed. I think that's a healthy place, Right? And you know that too. When your life is crazy and super hectic and traveling all the time or, or marital strife or something like that, man, it feels uneasy, doesn't it? We want to operate out of a place of being relaxed. And the more that you do the work of the ministry, 
the more we can operate and say, what can we do to equip you? We can relax. So, this is the method. Now, what's the goal? Take a look at the goal. What he wants is maturity. Uh, The text uses these phrases like unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God. We were reminded here really of the Great Commission, right? In the Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make disciples, followers. He doesn't say go and make converts. He doesn't say go and make churchgoers. He says, go and make disciples, people who will follow me. So, in even, and in this maturity, I want to point out something. Look at verse 15. Most of us have heard this before, but where it says, speaking the truth in love, that is not the Greek word. The Greek word is literally truthing in love. Truthing in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. So what would it mean to truth and love, like truthing and love? It means everything in your life is aligning up to the truth of who Jesus is in the gospel. So whether you're speaking, whether you're walking, whether you're playing with some of our little ones, whether you're teaching in Sunday school, whether you're working, whether you're sleeping, all of that done in love underneath Jesus who is the head. So what does maturity look like? I mean, it looks like Jesus doesn't it? We want to look like Jesus. You want your brother and sister sitting next to you to look like Jesus. That's what we've been called to. We've been called to maturity. And you know what happens when that happens? Look at verse 16. When it's working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want to be a part of a church that's working properly. Don't you? No one wants to be a part of a dysfunctional church. No one wants to have a dysfunctional body. But all of this, this this decentralized, and I would even say it is a messy way to do ministry. It's here to help us become mature Christians. Here to help us become mature people. So, How does that do that? Look, you've got multiple points of contact, like we mentioned. And when it's decentralized, friends, you're actually known. It is very hard to go to a community group at Trinity and not actually be known. You know? People know your joys. They come to know your sin patterns. You know, they know your kids. They know your desires what really motivates you, there is no possible way with two pastors of this church for you to be known in that way from Pastor Blake and me. But all together, saint to saint, you're able to do that. And also, too, some of us, I think most of us, have have a measure of low self-esteem to some degree or another. And what that causes us to do is kind of think in ourselves, what do I really have to offer to my brother and sister? Here's what you have to offer, yourself. 
God doesn't call us to success. He just calls us to show up and be faithful. You know? I mean, okay, maybe you, you haven't been to seminary. Maybe you haven't even read the whole Bible, but you know that Jesus died for you. That's great. Show up and trust that God is going to use you in the lives of others. You know, it's just about showing up. And really, this is, when we think about the nature of ministry and just showing up, that's what Jesus did. That's how we see the gospel here. Jesus just showed up in our time of need. We were broken and lost and sinful. He showed up. And it's great that while we're talking about ministry decentralized, salvation is not decentralized. It's not up to us that Jesus himself took on the work by himself to do the whole darn thing so that we could be free. So this morning, I would encourage you to think about how Jesus is at work in you so that you might be at work in the lives of others in this messy, decentralized way to do ministry. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that you would be at work in us to help us see that for your body to work properly here at Trinity, it needs all of its, all of its parts working properly. Help us to show up, to be faithful. We trust you with the success of that. We trust you with putting us in the right situation to minister to others here. And we look to you to empower us, that we may grow into maturity, grow into Christ the head. We love you, and we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.